Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop. And on this episode of the podcast, we are aiming this at all of the runners that have gone through your season, you've gone through your main A race of the year, and you are now in this transition phase, and you are thinking about adding a strength training program into the mix because maybe it was something that was lacking last year or maybe you're just strength curious and you want to start to get back into it and so i brought on our two cts coaches that just happen to be strength training experts and sarah scazzaro who helped me design the strength training component of training essentials for ultra running as well as nicole rasmussen and we go through a very practical example of what to do here and now and how to actually start Not only that, but also how to plan for the future and what you should be thinking about now that is going to benefit your ultra running for the next year and whatever your next A race happens to be. I always appreciate Nicole and Sarah's perspective on this because they come to it as experienced coaches, not only in the strength training realm, but also in the endurance realm. And they make no bones about how it can help you and also how you can screw it up. And we talk about all of that throughout the course of this podcast. So with that as a little bit of a backdrop, I'm going to get right out of the way. Here's my conversation with Sarah Scazzaro and Nicole Rasmussen all about how to start strength training right here and right now. Cole's aware of this, but I don't think Sarah is. So I I saw Nicole at Bigfoot or not a Bigfoot. We were just talking about Bigfoot at Bighorn, big something or other. She rocked by the way. Congratulations. Thank you friends. Thank you. And, uh, I think it was after the race, she comes up to me. She's like, do you really only lift on your arms and not on your legs? And like, kind of like in a snooty way, like, is this real? Is this really what you do? And I was like, well, yeah. And I gave her some stupid rationale for it. And she goes, why don't you just go do some freaking deadlifts? And that was it. <laughs> and then, no, 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 yeah, the story- you, no, the line was something to the effect of no further respect will be given until you're deadlifting again. Okay. I think it was closer to that. Like, <laughs> like respect is gone, Jason. Well, here's, here's what you don't know. Here, here's what you don't know is I have this outstanding, I have this outstanding bet that I have to pay with this guy. I hope he's listening to this podcast. His name's Rob Sanders. Uh, he was Timothy Olson's old massage, uh, therapy school buddy. And he came out during the PCT last year and, uh, helped him out helped him out a lot in some positions where we we really need Tim Tim really needs some help. And uh he's a you know weightlifting, you know, team sports kind of guy, you know, not definitely not an endurance athlete. And so I made him I made him a bet. I'm like, hey dude, you have to do a 50K and I have to deadlift 405 pounds. How are we and, doing on that? I'm not very good. I have until <laughs> the end of the year to pay it off. And I actually just saw him last week and um uh, we're, we're, we're equidistant from our respective goals. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so he's got to do a 50 K shout out to shout out to Rob Sanders. He's a, he's an absolute sports medicine wizard. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to start working. I actually started working on it this week. I started incorporating more legs. Thank you. Nicole. Great. Respect has been restored. Yeah, well, oh, it's yeah, pending. Well, it's it's pending. pending. Yeah. Pending. <laughs> I have to post we'll a video. We'll be keeping you, uh, 
405 pounds. 405 pounds. I was trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out what the, so the audience can relate to that. I was trying to figure out what the ultra marathon equivalent to that would be like couch to X distance, which is kind of what I'm going through is like couch to a 405 pound deadlift. Like that's not insignificant. Why, why the 405? Uh, like what, where did that number come it's from? It's four plates, right? Yeah. yeah. 90, 90, 90. Yeah. For plus 45. Plus 45. Yeah. Cause 45, 45 is 90. So you'd have 180 plus the. Yeah. 360 four plus 45. Yeah. So it's four yeah. plates. That's a four or five. Okay. Yeah. So that's where it came from. He's going to make me do 500 originally. I was like, no way. But uh, I was trying to come up with an equivalent to that to try to explain to somebody and I failed to do so. So maybe you guys can help me out with that later. This podcast is not going to be all about this, by the way. <laughs> We're just going to spend a couple of minutes talking about it. So needless to say, I have a deadlift debt to pay. You guys can figure out what the equivalent is a little bit later. Um, but to get into like what we, act- what we actually should talk about, which is more important for the audience out here right now is the time of year where everybody is like recalibrating, you know, it's late August. People might catch this podcast in kind of early September. Nicole, you just mentioned you had an athlete out of Bigfoot whenever they, you know, finish this race and get recuperated, they're going to think about what they want to do for the transition or the quote unquote off season or whatever vocabulary you want to use. And part of that incorporates what I'll use the super broad umbrella as cross training and a subset of cross training could be strength training. We probably shouldn't call it that, but just for the audience's sake, we'll entertain that for a second. And, you know, I think that from a coaching standpoint, the more important part is it gives us the opportunity to set things up right. Mm -hmm. Because I wish that I had 18 months to work with every single athlete at a very minimum. Reality will always dictate that it's different. People get into the Western States lottery in January and then they don't sign up until February. And then we've got a race that's in, you know, July that we've got or June that we've got to prepare them for. But it, but, but truth be told, we would like 14 to 18, maybe even 24 months to prepare somebody for, for, for something like that. And this is going to be as close as we're going to get to it. And so what I want to do during the course of this podcast is since everybody's thinking about it right now, I want to go through how we would initially set it up from a strength training perspective now, given that we've got copious amounts of time. We don't know what we're training for next year in most cases. Now that we've got copious amounts of time in the future to, to, to fully develop things and actually, and actually work, work on them. So uh, Sarah, I'm going to start out with you. When you have athletes that you're either working with for long periods of time, like two or three years, or you start, or in the ideal fictitious situation that I just painted, you get them right now and you want to start them out on a strength training program. Let's start to orient the listeners around why it's so important right now. And then what we're going to start to do initially to take advantage of this long time frame. I think so the great thing about having such a long runway before an event or a season is that you get to work on, you get to start from scratch foundationally in terms of strength. So there's no working through, you know, trying to butt up against certain zones or ranges with their training. And we're not worried about like peak volume weeks. We've got plenty of time. 
And that time allows us to really address some of the weak links. And what I like to do with an athlete, whether they're new to me or we worked together in the previous season is what didn't work last, what worked well and what chinks in the armor do we have? What mm-hmm. areas of weakness did we have? What maybe common injuries kept popping up that we can start to try to address through strength training and kind of making you more durable. And then that sets kind of how I start to frame out their individual strength training. Um, and so let's say somebody doesn't have an event until like June and we're starting in August or September. Oh my gosh, that's such a great long runway. So we can really hit the weights harder in the beginning or more, you know, three to four times a week for some people than in season would be a much reduced volume and also exercise selection would vary slightly. So Sarah's focused on like some of the weak links and what didn't work. Nicole, what, like, where would oh, you said what work too? Well, what work, work too, too. But like, yeah, not yeah. solely focused, but that's a big, that's a big part of it. But Nicole, where would you, where would you take things given this long time frame? Well, you know, I've, as I've observed the ultra running space and as long as I've been in this coaching space, I, I feel like runners come into the off season or the transition season and they fall into like three camps, you know, that I've kind of seen over time. Um, and a lot of time you have the runner who, um, kind of falls off the face of the earth. You know, they have this big race, they trained, they're done with it. Maybe they, maybe their race was taking a big sacrifice for their family or their personal, whatever. So, and you know, they probably really need it, but you see these runners who do nothing and they disappear. They're right? done. That's they're it. cooked. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. done. Yeah. I'm out. Hasta luego. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. That's okay for depending on the goal. Um, and then, you know, you have this other camp of runners where you see them change nothing, right? This is the change nothing people where I run 40 miles a week and I'm going to run 40 miles a week all year long. Um, it doesn't matter if it's Christmas or, or raining or a blizzard or, maybe I'll do a little more before my race, but like even through the off season, it's like, I have to hit my miles. Um, so that's, you know, like the second camp I see. And then, you know, we have this third camp of people that I think do the best in my opinion, um, (laughs) as they look at, at performance and improvement in their sport. And these are the planners, right? So sometimes this is driven by the individual. Sometimes it's driven by the coach we're fortunate enough to drive the process for people. They don't have a choice, but to be a planner. (laughs) Um, But you know, like these are the people who have looked at their year and they have a general idea of, you know, these are my key races or events. They, you know, they've done a little planning. Maybe they're just coming off a year where they did a little planning. Um, But you know, like I've got these key events anchored into the calendar. And because I know when those are, I know when I can, take a rest, right? I know when it's important to give my off season a purpose. And if that purpose is rest, then great. If that purpose is like Sarah said, you know, maybe this is a great time to address some weaknesses. Um, it's a lot easier to tackle something you're bad at when you're not also running huge amounts of volume. Right. So I, I love that Sarah started with that is that, you know, we have this opportunity to cut back the running volume. You have more time, you have more energy, But, you know, um, you know, when you look at like what we see as coaches in the off season, I think athletes get to this point, you know, they, they do take a little time, they take a little rest, but they're excited to do something different. You know, like they're, they're, I feel like athletes are really open to strength training at this point because you do, you have more energy, you have more time. Um, it's probably cold outside and you, (laughs) 
it's being indoors, lifting weights is not as big of an inconvenience when the mountains are calling. Um, but it a, is, oh, yeah, I was gonna say, I, I have a lot of athletes that have just finished up their races and now they're much more receptive and excited about strength training because they don't have anything on the calendar until, you know, five, six, seven plus eight months out. So they're like, let's, they really want to dig in and knowing, like you said, those cold winters are coming where they may be won't be running as much or don't want to be out in the cold and don't need to put that volume in, they can really focus on something different. Yeah. And there, I think people are really receptive to it at this time in the year, you know, like even if they've never strength trained before, even if, or even if they're experienced or maybe they, and they know they just haven't been doing much during the high peak volume running time. Like it's a great, great opportunity, no matter where you are with your experience level, like this is a really great time to get started. So, cause I think you touched on a really good point there, especially near the end of a se- like a running season, like before a big race is people are making a lot of sacrifices with their time. And even if strength training does fit into the volume, like it's appropriate for them, that's going to be the first thing to go. Usually that's going to be the thing that starts to drop off because they have to make, you know, decisions for family and, you know, sleep and recovery. So now they're coming at it where they don't have as many things pulling at them. So they have a lot more time to really put down this foundation. And also I think mental bandwidth for the different skills they might need to learn if they're new to strength training. Mm. So it's just a really beautiful time because there's not the stress of all of this training run training going on that's causing this stress. So they have a little bit more, um, I think energy to give to learning new skills in the weight room as well. Yeah. That couch to 400 pound deadlift just seems doable. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. I think that's we need to start a new from. program to be honest. Oh, God, <laughs> Sarah, start a new program. I might need to reach out to y'all for some counsel on this. Uh, I'm going to take both of those themes and kind of meld them together, right? You both mentioned strengths and weaknesses and bandwidths. And I, what I, I want all the listeners out there to be really, really mindful of this. Even when you're going through a really heavy training phase where you're just doing everything you can, you're super tired, like you're just and you're just put you're just putting in the work, right? Somehow you can always find room to do more of the things that you are good at. Even, even when you're in those heavy training phases and we've all seen this before, I'm really good at climbing. So I'm just going to climb more and more and more and more closer to the race. Right. So to ping off of, you know, Sarah's earlier dialogue, the strengths of the strengths and weaknesses, you can always find the bandwidth to use Nicole's vocabulary there. You can always find the bandwidth or people can typically find the bandwidth when it's in their strength, but when it's not in their strength, that's when the that's when the bandwidth starts to get crimped upon. And I think everybody out there in exercise that they can go through right now is if their season's like over, they've already reached their apex race or the A race or whatever, they just go and make a simple list. From a running perspective, these are all the things that I'm good at and all of these are all the things that I'm not so good at. And as you're organizing the next nine months, do more of the stuff that you're not good at now and more of the stuff that you are good at closer to the race that right there is like 60 or 80% of periodizing somebody's program. Just, just like right yeah. there. It's really not, not to like discount what we do as coaches. Cause I certainly wouldn't do that. But really, if you get that down early on that it, pro- it provides such a reasonable framework to work with, because you have to realize that although your weaknesses might not necessarily take up a lot of physical bandwidth, 
and we can talk about how much that physical bandwidth that is from a strength training perspective, it's still hard to learn at the same time and develop, learn and develop, I'll use both of those words, learn and develop at the same time as all of your other physical faculties and resources are kind of already, already taken out. If it truly is a resource, because mm-hmm. the cost of that is so much exponentially greater than it is in your strength. That's why you're not very good at it, right? Cause you don't do it a lot and you don't adapt to it for whatever reason, physical, psychological or whatever. And so it's just going to take more of your resources up and you have to do them such that you have to just give it space. I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. So yeah. we've got the space in our ideal world. <laughs> Nicole, you can prepare us. So I'm going to call call out you first on this one. We've got the ideal space in in this world. We're going to take an athlete that like you haven't been working with and is new to the strength training game, but is an experienced runner and they want to get into it. Where should some, and there's a lot of people out there listening to this that are in that camp. Let's like make no mistake about it, right? I'm in that camp. I'm about to, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm relatively experienced in the weight room. I just don't do it a lot. How, however ironic that might sound, but Nicole, if you had that athlete, give some people out there some places to where they can actually start. Yeah. So I think the first concept that's really, really important in this population that we deal with is that, that we are probably runners first, right? Like we're here to improve our running performance primarily as coaches. That's our job. That's why people come to us. And as such, like, that's an important thing to, to, you know, lock in on is that the strength training we do should be smart. It should be effective, but it should support your running and it should support the running volume and the training, the, the time that we spend running. It shouldn't make us significantly, you know, more fatigued or take away from what we're trying to do as runners. So if if it's a good strength training program, it supports the running and it allows for adequate recovery, you know, those two things. And with that in mind, a really good method to apply as runners is to look at your season and to, you know, break it into like three sections or three, three areas where we can match up the weightlifting volume with the running volume and try to make sure that those things complement each other and support each other throughout the year. So a good way to do that. And, and maybe Sarah would use different terminology or explain it differently, but a really easy way to do that is to say, you know, I'm going to break my season into three segments and we can say early season, mid season, late season. And remember, like you said, this is assuming we have this great runway to work with and we have lots of time. Um, and you can think of the early season as a couple of months where maybe this is where your run volume is the lowest, you know? Um, and so we want our strength training to be more of a priority, um, and to have more volume here. You can think of it as your general prep phase. Um, but you know, like in this time, it might look different depending on if you have an experienced or a beginner athlete, but in general, like you can handle more volume here. You can handle three days a week when you're running less. Um, and you might expect as the season progresses for the days per week to decrease, maybe in the mid season, you train two days a week and maybe in the late season it's two or one, even one. Um, but early in the season, you know, we start out 
you can handle a little more, you can handle, you know, higher loads, heavier weights, and then we will progress and help that match your running as we go along. I'm going to let Sarah jump in before I say too much. So do you but, have any, oh, but it's plan. I want, I want to encapsulate that before we get too far into like the, like the annual periodization or anything yeah. like that. The, the key point that, 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 uh, that Nicole is making here is that before you sit and go in the weight room, figure out if you're going to deadlift or bench press or everything, all the above is just plan it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's having a plan and Nicole, you know, exactly. You want to kind of look at the, when you get an athlete or your athletes coming off of an event and you kind of can see when that next big event is and you break that season, the seasons up into your early mid and off season. Um, and, and kind of back kind of circling back. If I've, if I've got an athlete who is a very experienced runner, but maybe doesn't have a lot of experience in the weight room, then this time is like foundational. Like this is the, we are getting the movement patterns, right? We are making sure, are they comfortable? Do they need to meet with somebody locally and get eyes on them to make sure they've got the right form? Um, we're, we are making sure that they are comfortable. Um, as we've talked about before, kind of that gym literacy, they're comfortable in the gym. They're comfortable with loading and movements. Um, there's no reason if someone doesn't have a lot of experience to start going for one rep max right now, they need to just get comfortable and competent and um, very fluid with the movements. And then we can start expanding from there. So what does that look like then? So they, so is it high repetition? Is it a lot of multi-joint movements versus single joint movements? Like just a, like a little bit more detail behind that framework. Yeah. So if I've got an athlete and, and Nicole, I'd love to hear your thoughts too, but I'm, we're making the assumption when I carry here that someone's got access to a gym and yeah. equipment or sure. some form of equipment. Um, so that would involve generally kind of, it kind of crosses into that, that endurance range of kind of that eight to 12 reps is where I get with people. But when someone is really, really new to strength, I really don't want them going anything more in terms of loading in the beginning of like eight rep max, like of eight reps of your one rep max. So you can't, I don't want somebody loading you know, three reps or two reps. I'm, I'm talking someone that's never really squatted with a barbell on their back. We don't need to worry about loading that 405 pound deadlift just yet. That's going to come back. So I should start um, with like a broomstick, right? Yeah, no. yeah, but I mean, truly a lot of times yeah. when we do, you know, movement prep with, with athletes is, can you move properly yeah. and then loading it appropriately? And can you move well with that? Then you increase the loading. So a lot of that endurance range is going to be in that eight to 12 reps. You're going to have two to three sets. You're going to have 45 to 60 seconds rest. Um, and it can be squats. Uh, dumbbell deadlifts are great. Think about those, those key movements we've talked about in the past, the hinge, the lunge, the squat, the, the push, the pull, um, and just get them comfortable with it. And then they'll start to communicate what they struggle with, what is easy for them, areas of weakness. And then we can kind of dig deeper into that. Nicole. No, I think that's great. I think an important piece there is that, you know, if, if you're implementing strength training and is, if this is something you want to do, it's worth the time and investment to have the right setup. Like, like Sarah said, um, you're going to be limited if all you have is two pink dumbbells at home that weigh three pounds each, you know? Um, so if we're going to do this, like let's, it doesn't necessarily mean you need the gym membership, but it might mean you need to invest a little bit in several dumbbells and several kettlebells, you know, and it's worth 
you don't, the gym membership's great, but like you can do it from home with the, with the right investment, with the, with the right equipment, making sure you have enough to elicit an adaptation and a load. Um, and that's and like less Sarah than said, I think a lot of people, I'm sorry, Nicole, go ahead. No. Well, and, and it's the same, same idea with, if we're going to do this and we're going to devote time to do it, let's do it right. And invest in, have someone teaching me that my movements are correct, that the form looks good. And that all is a part of like setting yourself up for success in the beginning. Yeah, You're, you're going to lose interest if all you have is the pink dumbbells because you're going to stop progressing and it's not interesting, right? Like you're going to lose interest if your form is bad and you don't know what you're doing. And so set it up for success from the beginning. Yeah. The way that I've always posi- positioned that Nicole is, is when you don't have a reasonable set of equipment and by no means are any of us advocating that everybody has to go out and have a $5,000 home gym, right? And you can get away with very, very minimal, but when you, when you don't have some of that equipment available, it pigeonholes you into the only type of overload is how many repetitions can you do? And how fast can you do them? Time under tension. Exactly. Like, you know, yeah. Yep. And we see this a lot when the only tool in the toolkit are like uh like a leg circuit or something like that, like a body weight leg circuit, which can typically work for a short period of time. But then once you once that athlete develops underneath that specific load, how else are you going to add load if you don't have additional resistance? to throw mm-hmm. on to the athlete, you just add more. And that becomes very lit and that becomes very limiting at the end of the day. It's like if volume where you're just think about run training. It's like if volume were the only tool in your toolkit to increase an athlete's load, they can only handle so much either from time or injury or kind of from whatever developmental reason. So you need intensity and intervals and climbing and descending and all these other stuff, all this other stuff. Strength training is the same way to so go back to Nicole's really important point right from the onset is plan, like plan it out. Like if I'm going to start strength training, I'm going to need some sort of reasonable initial investment. Let, let's dive into that a little bit. Cause Sarah, I know you, that you've like counseled a lot of athletes on like what this actually looks like. And we, we mentioned this on our, one of our yeah. earlier podcasts as well. Paint that picture really quick because it's not so astronomical to what people normally think. Yeah. And it's funny because I've had like five athletes this week going, okay, this <laughs> Tell me is what the I year I'm doing get. strength training. What do I need to get? Like the hierarchy, that yeah. list. And I'm like, well, if you've got this much, this, you know, these yeah. are the priorities, but it's amazing what you can get. Um, a couple dumbbells, a couple, a set, a kind of set of kettlebells, um, a TRX can be good, but that can be getting kind of fancy there, but bands, mini bands to use. Cause you can actually loop the bands around the weights to create yeah, more resistance, you, you know? So then you can add accessible loading. It doesn't take as much as people think. It just sometimes takes a little more creativity, but I recommend for most people, depending on the starting, you know, where they're at is a pair of 20 pound dumbbells. 35 pound kettlebell. There's a lot you can do with that. There is a lot you can do with that because then you're just doing offside loading. You might do a suitcase deadlift with one kettlebell, but that's great for your core because it's anti-rotation. So bang for your buck right there. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that anybody that's seen my setup only because I ran a boot camp for many, many years. So my gym is, has a ton of stuff, but that's like 12 years of gathering things. But I use a lot of the same things over and over and over again. But they last for forever. They're not like they shoes. They last for forever. Like the investment miles lasts, out of them. Oh my gosh. It's, it's and that's the thing too. It's like, if you have the investment, you will have that equipment yeah. for, a, and you take care of it. It will last you forever. And uh, yeah. And you just need a small space and a 
couple kettlebells and there's a lot you can do with that. I had an athlete when, uh, when COVID first hit who like freaked out and she was hoarding kettlebells, like, she, <laughs> <laughs> like toilet paper. <laughs> and then she said like, all of a sudden one day she realized I have no toilet paper, but I have a thousand kettlebells. You know, it was like, it was like yeah. she was hoarding the wrong thing at the wrong time. But yeah, yeah that would be, that would be tricky. There's not really a good crossover. There. No, no uh-uh. but, but you know, I think if someone, you know, I always advise give yourself room to grow. So if you're using 15 pound dumbbells right now, you probably want to invest in some high, don't, like go higher because you're going to be there pretty quickly. And so get some weight that you can grow with. And then it's time under tension, holding lack of, you know, reducing the rest, increasing the reps and things like that, that you can then challenge someone with what they have available. Adjustable dumbbells. I've got athletes that have them and love them. Yeah. Yeah. They work. Not not a bad tool. No, if it, it, it works, you know, it's a tool in the toolbox. Yeah. I guess what we're saying is, is there's a, there's, there's, a low minimum amount of investment to, to, to make Sarah, you wrote an article on CTS site, right. That had like three different setups. So Mm -hmm. I'll link, I'll link that in the show notes. People can go and check it out. I thought it was a very, very reasonable list that most people look at and go, Oh, if I can get away with it, I can certainly swing that. And that was the point. Let's make it realistic and accessible because you know, if you give me a thousand dollars, we can get, you know, everything, you know, a lot of equipment, but if you're limited to say a hundred, 150 bucks or even $50, you can do a lot with that. Okay. Let's switch the conversation, right? So we've talked about how we want to do it. If we have this like totally idealistic 18 month time frame, we've got a new athlete, we're going to teach him to, you know, we're going to teach him to be literate in the, in the weight room. We're going to, uh, start them out with, you know, reps of eight to 12, somewhere around there. And then gradually, and then gradually impose different stress, stresses on the athlete. What should people avoid when they're first starting out, meaning we want to keep this from a, we want to, we want to, we've got this long-term perspective. Nicole mentioned her planning process. We want to plan this out throughout the course of the year, make sure that it's sustainable and things like that. When they initially start out, what are just the, what are like the terrain traps that athletes need to avoid when they're setting this whole system up for themselves? Sarah, you're chomping at the bit so you can go. First oh, no, I just don't want to. I, I could see it. No, I could <laughs> no, see it. <laughs> no, I, I think um, people get over ambitious or caught up and they'll they'll do too much intensity or too much loading too quick. Like they want to do just, 405 pound deadlifts yeah. right out of the gate. Yeah, okay. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, <laughs> um, I think I or or what I've seen with athletes is they remember the athlete they were in college when they lifted as part of their football program or their, you know, their wrestling. And now it's 10 years later and they think that they can squat the same load. I, I, they go in gangbusters day one and um, they are walking funny for a good week and very sore and yeah, at, at best, you know, or worse, there are other things happen. So I think that's a trap is um, well, first I would say that, and also not, knowing appropriate form, which kind of circling back to what Nicole and I talked about earlier, it's worth even an investment of paying a personal trainer at your local gym or college, you know, talk to a professor or something and making sure that someone can get eyes on you. Are you doing it correctly? That investment will pay dividends as you go, because then you will have the confidence knowing that you've got correct form. I see more and more people doing that over FaceTime at my local gym. Like my local gym has like personal trainers there. 
But I've yeah. noticed like more and more people uh, really in the last two years who set up their phone with like a tripod, like a proper, mm -hmm. you know, tripod at the right level and things like that. And for a while, I thought that they were just Instagramming it. <laughs> and it, this is going to sound horrible, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm sure somebody's going to get super pissed off when they hear this. But they weren't the Instagram type. Like it wasn't the typical like gym bro, you yeah. know, I'm trying to show my guns and shoulders off and stuff like that. They just looked like normal, like normal people. And so I started like getting a little bit more curious and finally asked somebody, I'm like, what, like, what is this set up for? Like kind of being naive is like, oh, my strength training coach is on the other side watching me. And I was like, wow, that's actually, I'm, I'm glad to see that like mm -hmm. actually being used because it's strength training professionals, you guys, I don't need to tell you, you're just well aware of some of the, some of the like gaping holes in the personal yeah. training world right now. But in anyway, or as opposed to, you know, getting into the gym, they can hire one of you guys, one of you gals to watch them virtually. Yeah, I've done that. I do do that because, it, and I think it really comes down to if you're good at cueing, because yeah. you've got to be able to cue somebody to be able to move into an angle or, you know, you have to be able to verbally kind of help direct them to shift things. You can't be there in the moment. And so once you get good at cueing and knowing what to see, it can, it can be done virtually. Absolutely. That's a I don't really, know if, if Nicole, that's yeah. a really hard skill to develop. Oh too. yeah. Yeah. And I think that's cultivated. You have to spend a lot of time lot of in time. the gym with eyes and on people yep. in 3d. And once you cultivate that, it's a lot easier to do it. Yeah. You can't develop that skill. Well, I don't know. It'd be very hard to develop yeah. that skill virtually. Yeah. yeah. Nicole. Um, yeah. You know, to continue along, where do people go wrong in the beginning? Um, I think a lot of athletes make the mistake of like selecting a workout or you know, following certain types of egg workouts that don't give the ability to progress. Right. Um, and so there's a couple of like types of workouts that would fall into this category where you lack some, you know, workouts lend themselves into this area where you lack the ability to progressively overload over time. Um, so for example, you know, we mentioned the body weight exercises, body weight exercises have a great place in a program, but you're going to be limited with your improvement after a couple of weeks. And so, um, you know, like you, you can ask yourself the question as you go along, like, do I have the ability to keep improving the way that this is set up? Can I progressively overload week to week and month to month? Um, I, you know, if you're doing, circuit type training, or you found this cool workout on the internet, it's probably a nice workout, but is it period? Like do the sets and reps progress? Does the weight increase over time? Um, if you're setting yourself up to do the same thing week after week after week, then, you know, you're, you're, it's like that inability to, pro to sorry, to progress. I keep saying that, but, um, um, but it's true. I mean, yeah, it's like true. The, and it, the classes at the gym, yeah, like the, yeah. the high fitness type class and stuff, like you get a great workout, but set yourself up to where, you know, I'm going to set up this exercise progression and stick with it for several weeks so that I can increase the weight over time or, or the volume in another way. Um, and I think you really nailed it there, Nicole, the whole it's, it's of, of sticking with it. And also kind of circling back of when you get gym equipment or you join a gym, that's keep that in mind of if I'm going to be doing this for six weeks, do I have the equipment? Have I purchased? Have I accumulated? Have I got, do I have the things at hand that will allow me to progress? 
um, or have I boxed myself in? Yeah. Yeah. I think another area that we sometimes go wrong is, um, doing too much volume, especially as runners, you know, like (laughs) there, the the sets and reps that you choose with your exercises should support a certain goal. Right. And there are set and rep sets and rep ranges that support, for example, strength. There are sets and rep ranges that support power. Um, there are sets and rep ranges and volumes that support hypertrophy or bodybuilding. And so sometimes, you know, you don't want to go in and be doing too much volume. Um, as a runner at, for performance, I like to tell athletes, we want to have a Cadillac engine in a Volkswagen chassis. And so meaning you want to be as strong and your engine as big as possible in like as small of a frame as possible. So you don't want to go in with like this bodybuilding routine. I mean, it's really, really difficult for runners to hypertrophy at all. And we can get into that if we want, but, but in general, like if, if you stick to two to three days a week, full body routines, it's probably just the right amount of volume to get strong, but without, um, you know, this like goal of hypertrophy and being big and bulky. And like I said, it's really hard to do, but, but don't do too much. Like make sure that your sets and reps support the goal as a runner and support with what you're trying to do with your strength. Here, here's what I'll say to both of those. I'll bring in a more clinical term. The minimum effective dose is always extremely low in our, in our situation and extremely. And what I mean by that is it's extremely low compared to all of the other work that you're doing. So let's just say you're doing 10 hours a week of run training, right? Just to make the math easy for me. If you did 30 minutes of strength training a week, which is 5% of your total volume. This is why I made it 10 hours a week. So if it was one hour, it'd be 10%. If I cut that in half 30 minutes, it's 5%. That's, you know, I don't have a calculator out, so I need some help. (laughs) Good work, coach. Yeah, there you go. That's an effective enough dose to make an adaptation. 30 minutes a week, 5% of your total volume. And it's probably even less than that. I mean, we could debate whether it's 20 minutes a week or 15 minutes a week or 40 minutes a week or kind of whatever. But I guess my point is, is as especially as ultramarathon athletes, which is a subset of endurance, uh, athletes, we tend to be kind of volume mongers, you know, volume (laughs) kind of rules the day. And this isn't, this is an area because we're runners first and we're not strength training athletes or power sport athletes where there is a minimum effective dose that is actually quite effective and not that much at all. And at the beginning, which is circling back to my initial point of this, it's really not that much. It's one set of eight of four or five different exercises. And then you get out of the gym when you just start. That could take 10 minutes right there. And that's enough to elicit a neuromuscular adaptation in and of itself. And then you come back a couple of days later and then you do it again. And then a couple of weeks later, you add in another set. And then several weeks later, you add a little bit more to that. I mean, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, is when you initially start out, you can pretty much undershoot every expectation that you have in terms of the minimum amount that it takes. And you'll probably still get an adaptation. Yeah. Especially for someone who is new Brand to strength new. training. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that old, I'm sure Nicole's probably heard it in the personal training world is that anybody can get results with a bad personal trainer in the beginning. 
if they've never done anything because a bad program will still get them more results than what they've done because they're doing a little bit more than what they've done before. But that's the difference between a good coach and a trainer and a willy nilly plan is that things then start getting very specific and what dosage right for that athlete. Um, and at what period in their training. And I don't know about, you know, Nicole, but I have athletes right now at the season and they're like, I just crushed my hundred. It was awesome, but I miss the gym and I want to lift heavy. Like I do want to yeah, go through a I little bit of hypertrophy. It, I yeah. do. Yeah. And I fully support that because if we look at the plan and we map it out and we talk about like, okay, we've got this phase, but then this is when we start need to change gears and we're all on board with it. But this is the time to scratch that itch in yeah. that off season. If that's something that they enjoy doing. I'm not, you know, but yeah. So, cause I, I do get some of those that are like, can I, can I coach Give Is back. it time? Can I, yeah. But that's the sign. I mean, that's the sign that you've weaned it off at the appropriate time yeah. during kind of the peak phase of training. Cause this, all, all of this has to get counterbalanced, right? We just, yeah. we met at the very beginning, we mentioned bandwidth and space. And if you've got more bandwidth to get in the strength training, you know, get in the strength training setting, you should absolutely take advantage of that. But at a certain point that's going to go away and then you go back to your minimum effective dose essentially to bring back that vocabulary. And And the strength that enhances the running, not takes away from it. Exactly. I think let's peel on that a little bit because I I always like to talk about this is kind of like off topic or off our little outline or whatever. But uh, yeah, like we ever, do we ever stick to the outline? (laughs) It's like 50, 50. Some people it's like 90, 10 that Mm. that we're not on it. But I think it is important to understand and to elaborate on this concept that there is a give and take that at a certain point in time, it's okay to do some strength training that might detract from the running. And the opposite is also true. There is a time where you should not do strength training that detracts from the running because the running has to be the hero. And if anything, I've mentioned this to both of you guys and in kind of like several several podcasts, if I've ever made any error in this realm, it's how to communicate that. And probably that's mm-hmm. why I want to talk about it as much as I can, as much as I can, because I want to find out better ways to actually, to actually communicate it. So I, I think the way to, the way to discuss this a little bit more is almost from a practical example, Sarah, as you mentioned, like you have this athlete that you take them through these ebbs and flows and cycles within their running and their strength training. And now they're like coming full circle to the point to where they actually want to get back in the weight room a little bit more. I want to elaborate on like what that looks like throughout the course of a typical season for somebody just to get it ingrained in the listeners heads. You want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So you're talking about like how we would set up old, like off season, mid season. Yeah. Just like, uh, Nicole's three phases that she went through some yeah, parallel yeah, to that, yeah. that we've talked about. Yeah. So in the beginning, and, and this is someone who's like eager, hot to trot, they've come off yeah, of their oh, A yeah. race and they're like, give it, you know, let me have strength. I want to do um, a 405 pound deadlift in the next four weeks. <laughs> if people miss the beginning of this, they're going to be uh, so confused. All right. <laughs> um, So yeah, we have a lot more play there and, you know, we have, again, we conversations, we look at the long range plan of the year, especially if they've already come, they're like, okay, I'm doing, you know, this race in June, 
and I've already gotten into it. I know it's happening, but it's now September and I've got some latitude here. So this, the rest of this year, there's a lot more, the last two to three months of this year, we have a lot more play with the strength. They can be in the weight room three days a week. They can be lifting heavier. They can have higher volume. Um, they can be doing moves that might leave them with fatigued legs because I'm not worried about them being able to nail their five hour long run on a Saturday. If they just did squats and deadlifts, you know, 24 and 48 hours earlier. Um, I think that also can help. I find give an athlete feedback on how their body feels after these sessions. So when it comes full circle into the higher volume run, you know, when we get more into the meat and bones and of, of a training cycle, they'll be like, Oh yeah. I remember when I lifted, my legs were pretty trashed for even my shorter runs. So they kind of buy in, they know, you know, that, that it will take a toll. They do feel that, but right now there's a low cost to that or, you know, that risk benefit or cost benefit analysis. And that's all it is with, if you've got X amount of time to train, what is our priority right now? What do we need to be devoting our time to? And what minimum dosage can we get of what we need? And then what do you enjoy doing? And as the cycle goes, as we get into middle of the season, we'll start probably shedding a day of strength training. It's probably going to be like Nicole said, more into that two days a week. Uh, The volume, what we do and the timing of it is going to look differently. The exercise selection might not vary that much at that point because, you know, certain movements are just really good to have, but where we place them in a week, butting up against some of our quality runs, intensity. I want to, I want to emphasize that point a little bit. So what you're saying is, is when the training gets, when the run training becomes a higher priority, Mm -hmm. kind of the two tools that you're primarily using to counterbalance our first frequency. That was the first thing that you mentioned. So Mm -hmm. frequency days per week going from three to two, right? That's a big, that's a big tool. That's not a trivial change, right? That's a one third reduction in the total amount of load when you look at it on a weekly basis. What else are they adjusting? The frequency and then maybe volume, the total like in volume, terms of just their yeah, total. reps, reps and sets. Yeah. Okay. Um, what, you know, are and how many, li- how many exercises? So in the beginning off season, it might be like, you've got your A, your A1 exercise, which is like your big, like your big five by five or four by six. And then you've got some more of accessory and you might have some B and C exercises because you can spend an hour and a half in the gym or an hour in the gym because you enjoy it and you love it. And it's fun. You're not going to be doing that four months out from your hundred miler. You won't have the time. Most likely if, <laughs> if you do, we've got a conversation because uh, running. <laughs> it's going to exactly, it's going to be eating into some other things in life. Um, and then also that much vol, just the volume of what we're asking you to do. And then you start getting into things of it's just extra. Do you need the extra? Yeah. It's just noise. It's, it's fun, but is it, enhancing your running. And at that point, a lot of that stuff starts to take away from it. Um, and then you're getting more into like the hyper, like you're not, I will never have an athlete where I'm like, okay, now we're going to do our skull crutchers and our tricep extensions and our like doing these little bodybuilding exercises. Yeah. Yeah. Just there's, there's no bang for your buck for somebody if their goal is running. It's almost an ROI focus. That's the way I kind of looked at it. Right. Like you can have, you can, you're okay with a lower ROI earlier in the season, just because you're, because the strength training volume can be a whole lot higher. You have to be like the precision, the, 
amount of emphasis you have to put on the precision of the prescription in terms of exercise selection and total amount of volume and placement, right? You mentioned yeah. that too, right? The, Pla placement. the placement of the workouts just increases because you you're trying to you're trying to have the, an effect without detracting from the running. Yeah. Which is not easy. Yeah. Okay, no. Nicole, do you want to add on to that like general flow? Um, I think that was pretty good. I think not pretty good. That was really good. Oh, um, it can be pretty good. It's okay. <laughs> pretty great. I still love you. I was just thinking as you went through that, the question, the common question that comes up with athletes as we get closer into the, that high volume of how we're going to handle the strength training. Um, I get a really common question from athletes is, um, you know, like trying to understand, should we be lifting at all? You know, and it, and, and it depends on the athlete, but if you can understand that volume, I think volume in running, when we say high volume, we're talking about lots of miles or lots of hours, right? When we say high volume and strength training, that can kind of come, it's like a combination of the sets and reps. So it could come as high weight with like also a lot of reps or really high reps, mm -hmm. you know, it can come in two different ways. And so the key is that when we have low volume at the end of the season, late season, when we have low volume strength training, it's not the heavy weights that induces a ton of fatigue. It's the high volume is really, really fatigue inducing. And so you can still be lifting relatively heavy at the end of your season as long as our sets and our reps are low, you know, and, and, and any athlete who's gone through this progression can tell you, you know, like three sets of 15 is exhausting three sets of two, even though it's heavier, like I can get in and out of the gym and I'm not destroyed, even though it was heavy weight, it's, it's low volume. And so I think if you have that understanding of like, it's okay to lift all the way through as long as there's not that mismatch of, of volume and, as long as the fatigue isn't too great, that's, that's coming from the strength training. Like those two things have to be in balance. I, I was, yeah. you know, when you said, uh, this common question comes up, I, and I agree with you, that's a common question, but my first inkling was actually the opposite of that. It's do instead of, is this going to interfere or do it? Can I still, can I still lift, you know, should I still lift at all? How long does the legacy last once you stop strength training because that's what a lot of athletes want to do when their volume gets super you know when that when their volume starts to take over and they're doing you know back-to-back -back long runs and things like that they just want to quit cold turkey right they just want to say hey listen i don't want to do strength strength training at all and i wanted to get you guys you guys see that way more you know, way more than a lot of our coaches and way, way more than I do. So to talk about Nicole's planning, it's always keep, keeps coming back to Nicole's planning for whatever reason. A good is, planner. <laughs> is this something like, would you, how would you counsel an, an athlete on that? Like, are, would they see any sort of reasonable deterioration in their like exercise capacity or their performance capabilities or whatever? if they just went through six months strength training and then stopped and then just ran for two or three months and then did their peak event, which I think this is just might be my bias. I think that that's actually relatively common. Yeah, it's common. 
off season is lifting. And then once the nitty gritty starts with the running, it's so, like, Oh, strength training. What? So is that an error in your professional estimation? Cause I think this is really important for the planning yeah. part of it. I think the nuance there is why are they taking the training, the strength training out? Is it because that now they need that time for sleep? They need mm. that time for other things. The, the run volume is that like, if the things that they need for appropriate recovery or to, to get the most out of their run programming is eating into that limited time they have for strength. That's a, that's a more nuanced, I think, distinction there because I do, I think it's good to just stop cold Turkey. I think there's some benefits of still continuing some, you know, some modified version of it, but not if it's at the expense of them not getting the proper recovery or sleep, but I don't think that's the case for a ton of people. I think it's choosing their priorities. Well, go, go ahead, Nicole. I'll tell you guys yeah. how I usually handle it, but I want to hear what Nicole has to well, say. I like to, I like to bring up the point that you want to be your strongest at the time of your event. That's why we're doing this, right? Like, like you want to be your strongest at the time you're supposed to perform, you know, like that's, and so if you completely take everything out when you could to Jason's point earlier, you could devote 5% of your training volume, modify <laughs> things slightly and do yeah, the things that matter things slightly, get into the maintenance, do things that matter and still be strong at the time of your event. Then it, it was for something greater. You know, I, I wish, I wish I had some, some data on, on yeah. that. Jason does with how long those adaptations last. I, I think what I see, maybe you see this too, Nicole, is a lot of people have this all or nothing. I was doing a 30 minutes in the gym. I can't do that anymore. So there's really no point where they still could get 10 minutes and still get some benefit to prioritizing um, some of the key, the key things. Well, so I was going to, br- I was going to bring in the data, right? The strength training yeah. data. So we do know that I'm going to generalize strength training adaptations, although we can divide them into the strength component and the the neuromuscular component and the recruitment component and things like that. But if we want to create these broad categories, strength training adaptations come and go more quickly than the endurance side. And we're talking about several days, maybe a couple of weeks to which those adaptations kind of sink in on the strength training side. And then on the endurance side, you're talking several weeks or months. So it's a shorter process on both the entry of the adaptations and also the removal of the stimulus, how quickly you, how quickly you detrain on the strength training side. However, nothing really happens like that in terms of switching the light off, right? Because we're all training to a certain degree and there's a continuum of adaptations that always happen. So going back to our earlier point of the, the minimum effective dose, it becomes extremely small on the strength training side once you've gone through that big peak and valley process. And so I actually think it's kind of an idealistic situation because you can go through, let's just say you have an athlete that is training for an event in July. You can go through a big, more strength training focused process in January, February, and March, and then leave April, May, and June and cut that strength training volume by almost 80%. And hold on to 95% of those adaptations with that minimum effective dose. It really doesn't take that much. Mm-mm. And so if, you, if you're looking at strength training as an, as an intervention to throw into the mix in order to improve performance, you have to realize that 
you can take advantage of those heavy times and leave a lot of space and hold on to almost all, not all, almost all of those adaptations and not sacrifice and not sacrifice the running side. I would say it's an error if you go cold Turkey for more than three weeks, just to put on that like polarized example. And I think the data would, the, the data would definitely back that up as well. And I do think that it's also an error if you go down to that minimum effective dose for more than three months. After that, you start to lose an appreciable amount of the stimulus to where you can do it just for shits and giggles. But if you're looking at it, which is fine. I mean, people just, some people, like you said, people's crave strength training, right? You could strength train just because you enjoy doing it. But if you're looking at it from something that improves performance to, to Nicole's point that we keep berating, you have to like logically plan it out because you want to make sure that the adaptations that you intentionally and deliberately created during a very heavy strength training phase, that you time it such that you retain the majority of those adaptations when you start to make that compromise towards the more running side of things. That yeah. is the big point of planning. And it's not as simple as, I'm gonna keep kind of coming back to this because I see this error time and time again. It's not as simple as just go in and do this leg circuit, just go in and do this one thing like twice a week because that violates all of those principles that I just kind of ran through. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I think. So the people that are, that are, that are out there that are thinking about planning these things, yes, you should give yourself space, but realize that there's a time and limitation to that space. It's eight, maybe 12 weeks at maybe 50 to 80% less of your maximum dosing. I think that that's a reasonable compromise and it's really not that much. I mean, just no. take a typical workout at hundred percent. You're doing eight exercises, five by five. If you just cut that in half, much less 70 or 80%, that's like 20 minutes in the weight room right there. Yeah. And that's enough. That's more than yeah. enough to retain the the adaptations that you that you have for I would say at the at the maximum tw 12 weeks is probably the longest stretch that I'd make, but certainly 8 weeks. And not be a detriment to the running as you're running. Well, it's it's actually still improvement. Right? That's what I mean. Like, but it's not yeah. the fatigue, the things that you're doing in the weight room. Now it's that balance has shifted. So it's going to be giving you the performance aspect without being a draw back yeah. from impairing your running. Okay. Let's get into caveats time. Oh, because I, I know both of you want to talk about this. You just don't realize it yet. <sighs> We tend to have this like, no, this is, no, this is my performance bias, right? So we tend to have this super, we tend to have this bias on we're training 20 year old college males and the reality is, is we're not. And there, there are, uh, th there are advantages and benefits to strength training that go far beyond the 10 minutes of improvement I'm going to get out of the Leadville Trail 100 course or whatever it is, right? I mean, when you want to put a time perspective on it, that's kind of it. So I'll start out, I'll start, I don't want to hear you guys' perspective on this. I'll start out by saying that if you are in the strength training game for those benefits, better bone health, you want to be able to lift your luggage into the overhead bin without throwing your back out. You think that the strength training is going to contribute to, you know, you preventing injuries or something like that. And this whole host of other just health benefits of doing it, 
great. Freaking go for it. And you know what? If you want to do that at the compromise of your 10 minutes on the Leadville Trail 100 course, that's awesome too. That 10 minutes on the Leadville Trail 100 course is not that much unless you're finishing in 30 hours and nine minutes oh. <laughs> or 30 hours yeah. and 11 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not that much then. So I, I wanted, I want to start out with that caveat because I know that there's a lot of people out there that, that, you know, aren't going to look at strength training with such a laser-like focus on performance. They're, they're presenting it as this broader umbrella to where there's, yes, there's probably a performance improvement, but there are also just health and lifestyle improvements that might even supersede whatever performance rigmarole that we actually want to go through. But what do you two have to say about that? What other caveats do you have to say about that as well? Because I know it's an area that we talk about a lot. Well, I was just going to say to your point of you can list a host of the, all the benefits, right? They have nothing to do with performance. They have nothing to do with trail running. There is a host, right? There's the evidence goes on and on about the benefits of strength training. Right. Um, but athletes will ask me like, you know, should I be strength training? Is this something I should be doing? And, you know, we go through all the, the questions to determine if they're good candidates, but at the end of the day, my recommendation is like, I recommend strength training for any aging athlete. What's aging? (laughs) I'm getting into this category now. (laughs) So (laughs) So you can see the wheels turning when I say that and the athletes are thinking, they're like, any aging athlete? Like, and I did have an athlete one time say, well, define aging athlete. And I'm like, did the athlete wake up a day older today than they were yesterday? Right. Like, (laughs) and then it it, it clicks for people like, oh, she's saying everyone like, (laughs) right. Like you can't deny that there's, there's this evidence, body of evidence out there and data that that this is like a great thing we can be doing as humans outside of runners, you know? And, um, you're right though. Like you doesn't mean you can't, you don't have to go through the, the questions of in every training phase, you have to ask, what am I sacrificing and what am I prioritizing? Like it, even though this is a great thing and everyone can benefit, like you still have to go through that, that thought process. Like what am I sacrificing to, to put this in and what, what, what will I prioritize at different times? Um, I don't know. There you go. Sarah. I mean, that pretty much sums it up. I, I think it's also, you know, you've got athletes that are very motivated and they love strength training and they're like, this is a non-negotiable for me. I, yeah want to do this. And then you have those conversations of like, well, again, this is what it could impact. And this is what it, you know, can we, you know, we have those conversations and other people are like, when can I stop? Do I need to do this? And if so, when can I stop doing this? You know, they're not into it. You know, it's not their thing. And I'm not going to force anybody, but like Nicole pointed out, and like you said, there are so many benefits, especially well for everybody, but especially women, let's, you know, be honest. And, you know, it's, there's some valuable things that have nothing to do with performance and nothing to do that are worth in some cases that 10 minutes on a race course, because they're going to have better bone density and potentially, and they're going to have all these other benefits that can come from that. And I like to not to, not to berate the point too much longer, but I don't think that the performance compromise, I think the performance compromise is either negligible or it's just so small that you could never tease it out as long as you get the programming right, which is a big Mm. caveat. We're professionals here. We know how to get the programming right or we think we know how to get the programming right. But 
when you do get the programming right, you can blend all of those health benefits with yeah. the perform perform the performance benefits at the same time, and they don't have to necessarily compromise each other. So I don't want to present it as this like you're either or yeah I don't want or to present it as either, you know, yeah. either or especially when you look at the long term outcomes. Right. Which we should never like, we should never neglect that this is a long term game that we're playing that's decades yeah. long, not just a year long or a season long or a race long. That if you look at the long term outcomes and you blend all those things, they're going to be healthier, yeah. happier for that time for, frame. I mean, personally speaking, for me, I had osteopenia in my 20s. I had the bones of a 70 year old at 23 years old. And so strength training has been critical for me because. I was starting out with such a deficit, you know? And so yeah. it, I go on it hard because I know my longevity is in health and not just running really depends on it for you me personally. With, you caught that without a moment to spare too. <sighs> right? right. My little window is shrinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. What a hairline fracture will do in your yeah. pelvis. <laughs> okay. That'll get you that DEXA scan real quick. <laughs> okay. We can talk about that at another point in time. Okay. <laughs> What else do you guys have to mention? Any final thoughts? What should my progression be on my 405 pound deadlift? If I oh, have gosh. three months to do it, Where, <laughs> how's the broomstick going? Bro how's I, I got the, mo I mean, I'll be able to get the neuromuscular. I'll be, I'll be able to get the movement pattern pretty quick. Cause I, I mean, I've deadlifted a lot. I'll start with a hex bar, right? Here's some real, realistic advice for people. Start at a hex bar and get a better position. And then move Got to it. actually a, a real bar, a straight, a straight bar. But I'm going to start with that. I'm going to start with a hex bar. I'll probably spend four yeah. weeks just with a hex bar. Good. And then, I don't know. I think if I, I don't know, I have to just let the progression take it. But yeah. I know realistically I've got to be able to do like 350 pounds by the 1st of December in order to have any shot. And this What's is by your birthday? By the end of the year. I should make okay. my birthday. My birthday is December I gonna 20th. Say, I was going to so. say, it's, it's really close to that. Jesus. What's your previous best or is this a new movement? It's not a it's new movement, but it's a new movement to try to set a one rep, rep max on. Like gotcha. I've done, you know, heavy sets of three, probably 330 pounds, 340 pounds, sets of three. So, I mean, it's not, that's a long time ago though, but it's within my performance cap. I wouldn't have agreed to it if it weren't like some within the realm of my... <laughs> Yeah. performance <laughs> capability i mean <laughs> i think yeah. the analogy i think the analogy is so my we'll go back to leadville my pr on the red on the leadville course is like night right around 19 hours i think it's about an 18 hour leadville finish for me okay that's like the realm of like if you wanted to c come up with an ultra marathon equivalent to it yeah. I, think, I think that's about <laughs> close damn you rob I hope it is. <laughs> and I would just maybe add before we kind of wrap this up is I think if someone is like strength curious or if they are been kind of contemplating getting into it, that this off season is a really, really good time to explore that with very low risk to their running. So I think that this should be a time of kind of excitement and exploration with that. Um, and this is the time to do it. If your race is middle, middle of, you know, March and beyond, or you don't know, <laughs> or you don't know, you, you don't do have a race on the calendar. Yeah. This, you know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. There's no hard and fast rule to what, what your strength training has to be exactly. But yeah, you pivot. if you're curious and if you, it's never too late to try and to learn. And my sweet grandma started training training at 85, you know, and <laughs> it's never too late. So love that. That's rad. 
All right, we'll let it go there at that point. Thank you too for coming back on the podcast. I'll put some links in the show notes to Sarah's article, but also some resources on where people can actually start. I would, I would uh, employ everybody to check that out because it's really not as complicated as you think. And to YouTube's point, if you just start, you can take it from there. You can plan realistically somewhere in the early phase of it, you know, to, to Nicole's point, but uh, it doesn't have to be nearly as intimidating as a 405 pound deadlift should be there you go perfect (laughs) thanks you guys thank you that was great all right folks there you have it there you go much thanks to coach sarah and to coach nicole for coming on the podcast today and lending us your experience in this area as we mentioned during the course of the show now is the time if you're ever thinking about starting a strength training program do it right now figure it out now make some of those mistakes now get your home gym set up now figure out what gym you want to go to in your area now when you have the time when you have the physical resources and you have a little bit of time to actually plan things out as Nicole so aptly mentioned during the course of the podcast because it can be a big uh, performance improvement for you coming down the road next year regardless of what your your goals might be. But in addition to that, there's a myriad of health benefits as we mentioned during uh, towards the end of the show. Quick programming note for everybody listening out there. I am going to be out of the country and unavailable to record any additional podcasts starting at the end of August and going all the way to the middle of November. I'm going to be a part of one of my athletes, Mina Gully, her crew as she runs marathons all around the world to raise awareness about our water crisis that everybody is going through right now. However, Fret not because I have a number of podcasts banked that I'll be releasing during that time. And in addition, I'm pulling in some help. Coaches Stephanie Howe and Andy Jones Wilkins, otherwise known as AJW, are going to be doing some guest hosting for me throughout uh, throughout this time. So don't be surprised when you hear their voices on the other end of this channel, as opposed to mine. They're going to do a bang up job and have a ton of good content lined up for you. I will be back in the middle of November with a regular scheduled programming and I'll be picking it up from there. I've already got a number of great guests lined up for when that time happens to come. But until then, expect some podcasts that I already have in the can and expect Stephanie and Andy to take you through the initial part of this winter season. Appreciate the heck out of everybody listening out there, all your support over the years. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.